the situation in Egypt is, is very mixed up with, with many things. Like you, you think you are doing the traditional wildlife documentary and then you are in a myriad of, of, of many subjects interlinked and, and, and involves politics, involves social standing, involves economy, involves people and involves fiction as well. You just heard the voice of Omar Manduna an Egyptian filmmaker and the director of a new documentary currently in production called Crocodopolis. On today's episode of the show, Omar and I discuss crocodile research and conservation in Egypt, the challenges that Omar has faced as a wildlife filmmaker in Africa, and the great potential that this film has to affect positive change. I'm Matt Podolsky, and you're listening to the Earth to Humans podcast. Welcome to the Earth to Humans podcast. I'm Matt Podolsky, and as usual, we're starting off the show by checking in with fellow ETH producers, Serena Simons and Hannah Mulvaney. Hello. Hi. Hi. Any plans for the summer coming up that uh, you two are excited about? Um, I'm headed to the San Juan Islands in a couple weeks uh, for my birthday. Hopefully going to go see orcas in the wild and... I saw a meme the other day, you know, our past conversations about these boat attacks um, and there's been like shots of orcas gathering in large numbers off the coast of California. Um, But the meme was like, um, how can I, as a land ally, support the orca cause? (laughs) And my friends are like, because we're going to go kayaking in orca waters, you know, and they're like, oh, you know, is that safe? And I'm like, no, it'll be fine. Like, these orcas know that we're allies to the cause. It's going to be fine. (laughs) So... Yeah, thing, fingers crossed uh, that we we make it back in one piece. But I I love orcas, and I think it's going to be an amazing experience. It's also the time of um, bioluminescence in that area, um, so we're going to do like a a night kayak um, in the bioluminescence because it's also going to be a new moon, so it'll be very dark. Ooh. Yeah, that's so exciting. So I'm in Thailand now, um, after being in Indonesia for almost six months. Um, I got to Thailand last week um, and I am in love. I absolutely adore it here. It's amazing. Um, And I was just saying to Matt as well, like I've, Indonesian food is very fried. (laughs) Um, So I'm kind of grateful. I've just been eating like papaya salad by the, like every meal. I'm like, oh, I have some papaya salad or something like tea leaf salad or whatever and I'm just oh man yeah my body my body feels good <laughs> so much salad all the salad and all the smoothie bowls I'm just like oh, <laughs> so good awesome um anyway Matt you are hosting this week's episode and I'm really excited I just saw the artwork for this episode also that Hannah just sent by Jasmine and it looks awesome um so even more pumped for this episode. Do you want to give us kind of a an introduction to Crocodopolis? Sure. Crocodopolis is a feature documentary uh, currently still in production about the complex situation surrounding the presence of Nile crocodiles in Lake Nasser in southern Egypt. Um, and as we heard in that uh, short opening quote from the director, uh, Omar Manjuna, Although it may sound at first like a typical wildlife film, um, it's actually just as much about the political, social, and economic situation in the human communities around Lake Nasser as it is about the crocodiles themselves. Uh, Let's let's jump into the conversation and and hear from Omar himself. Okay, I'm Omar Manjuna. I'm an Egyptian uh, filmmaker. I studied filmmaking in Egypt and graduated uh, in 2015. Then I I always had like the passion to become more specialized in, in wildlife uh, related documentaries 
And this is why, as soon as I graduated, I sat down to South Africa for an, an, an African journey. I was trying to explore more about how, how does this work? Because like in Egypt, we didn't have any focus on wildlife uh, at the time I graduated and still up to this moment, actually. So I was trying to find like any uh, other place where there is already wildlife filmmaking uh, environment established already. So I started mainly to email like each production houses I would find online. And I got this uh, response from uh, South African uh, small production houses. They said, okay, we, we cannot offer you a placement, but we, we offer courses in wildlife if you are interested to join an internship program. And then let's see how it works. So I, I joined this internship program uh, with Africa Media. It was a muscle-based South Africa. And I ended up like spending almost two years like between like several African countries, like South Africa, Mozambique, Malawi, trying to work as a freelancer with many like sanctuaries, uh, national parks, environmental affairs, NGOs, uh, NGOs uh, all of this stuff, producing, like trying to produce mainly a portfolio and try to get uh, more awareness. In uh, 2017, I decided to go back in, in Egypt again and to explore what is the environmental and wildlife scene look like. I knew absolutely no one. But gradually, I started to gain opportunities to do some short documentaries for the Ministry of Environmental Affairs and also with uh, some international uh, entities like the UN uh, in Egypt. And this gradually introduced me to the scene in Egypt. And, and that's how it works. Currently, I'm working on my first feature uh, length uh, documentary, which uh, closely related to the Nile crocodiles in Egypt. And here we go. Yeah. So I've got a bunch more questions for you about your current documentary project but before we get into that i'm curious about your inspiration right and and, and you talked a bit about your path towards becoming a filmmaker and your area of interest and the types of stories you are telling where did the inspiration for that come from many different but i consider let's let's start with with me i consider myself like a general filmmaker i'm not like really the kind of person who does only wildlife documentaries or only social documentaries or only just documentaries, even fiction films, music videos. I I love cinema. And that's how my passion like gradually was uh, happening to me because like I'm, I'm a cinema person, I'm a film buff, if I would say. And for the wildlife, even the, the, the main passion did not come from the traditional uh, documentaries you might see from like Planet Earth was, was a huge thing for me like when I was studying, but also um, more of the cinematic experience that also involved interaction between human and wildlife. So Werner Herzog's documentary was, was one, of, one of my most inspiration when it came to how he introduced himself as an artist, as a thinker in the environmental issues happening. And, and that's the main thing that I, uh, made me like, want to pursue uh, such a subjects. I, I think my inspiration came more from uh, film directors who were pursuing their subject uh, as uh, truthful and authentic as it could be. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to to do a similar approach when it comes to pursuing environmental and wildlife work that also has a personal uh, subjective uh, breath into it. Yeah, folks who listen to the Earth to Humans podcast know that we talk a lot about how environmental issues are not just about the environment, right? Like these issues are intertwined with social issues and uh, political issues and economic issues. Um, and it's really, you know, it's really impossible, I think, to, to try to extricate them. But it, it makes these types of stories that you're trying to tell, I think, very challenging from a storytelling perspective, right? To like the, the balance between like expressing a truthful representation of the situation, but also injecting your own perspective as a storyteller. So like, let's dive into it. I mean, talking about Crocodopolis, um, how did this project begin? Well, first of all, I was fascinated when, when I was working uh, in South Africa, I was fascinated with crocodiles. That was my closest encounter with a crocodile in my entire life. And as soon as I like had my first filming experience with Nile crocodiles there, I was fascinating with this prehistoric creature with with this vibe and this authority uh, coming out of it. So it, it it caught my attention right away and it, it got a piece of my heart. 
I, I had the, 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 the idea of filming something with crocodiles in my, in my head for, for, for so long. And when I returned to Egypt, I knew already the information that there are Nile crocodiles still living in the southern part of Egypt. But to be honest, when I started working on this project, I, didn't, I haven't done any research. So I just had the idea, okay, maybe I, I might do something interested if I had access to Nile crocodiles in the Lake Nasser and try to see how they are existing there especially that this is a very historic creature that the ancient Egyptian used to worship at, at a certain point. The, the, it was the god, so big god, it was the god of protective and military for all the country. It was responsible for protecting from all the invaders and, and everything. So it was already fascinating and, and had many fantasies going on. But I started to, to do more in-depth uh, research when first I was encountered, uh, I encountered Muhammad Azzat. He was the main researcher working with crocodile in Egypt. And I met him by chance. I was doing a, a short documentary about migratory birds uh, passing by uh, wind farms in Egypt and how this uh, challenges the migratory route. And he was working there as a bird, like he was monitoring birds to try to evaluate how, how dangerous it is for the birds. And I didn't know him at the time, but I was like speaking to a colleague there that I'm interested to explore more about Nile crocodile and said, OK, you are in the right place. And then he introduced me to Azad. And as soon as I met him, like he was already planning to do his PhD in the lake. And he said, OK, maybe you can come along, join one of my trips and see what you can do. And this was it. That was five years ago. <clears throat> and during the next two years, the following two years, like we were trying to organize something, but then it wouldn't work because like permits in Egypt and accessibility to location is very difficult, very hard to, to go, especially for, for the southern part, and because it's also borderline with Sudan, it's very difficult to obtain such permit. And we needed like to try to plan it further and further like to work. But during that time, like we kept on speaking only like for nearly a year and a half. During that time, I gradually gained much more interest in what he's doing. And the film started to take shape around him and his team and what they are trying to do in the lake. And then I knew the back history of the film that it started nearly in 2013, that the Egyptian government was had very high interest in investing in crocodiles. They had there was no scientific data like shown to the government, but they had this concept that we have hundreds of thousands of crocodiles living in the lake. They are eating all the fish. They are affecting the communities. They are attacking human beings, which all is all false information, actually, but they believed in it. And they wanted to capture all these crocodiles mainly and do a crocodile farms when they can, when they start to export them and like take the leather and the meat and all this stuff. <clears throat> and this is why yeah, that's actually how they, they discovered along the way that Egyptian government already signed an international agreement by the IUCN that uh, prohibit any uh, wildlife trade unless it's proven that this animal is not endangered in its own country. So that's how they found that, oh, okay, we need to prove that it's not endangered. Of course, it's not endangered. We have like hundreds of thousands of it. Uh, so they brought Isaac along. He had just done his uh, master thesis on crocodiles in South Africa. So they brought him in. They said, okay, we, we will give you like some time to try and, and uh, survey the whole lake and try to find out how many crocodiles estimation like we have in Egypt. And that's how the journey started. And after some time, the Egyptian government discovered that the numbers are not as big at the, as they have expected. And it will take much more effort and much more money to, to try and prove this to the IUCN and to the international community. So they just like tried to, they got rid of the whole idea. They, they decided to stop like trying to invest in crocodiles anymore, but they left the team in the lake. They did not like in, inform them of the decision. They were just by themselves for an entire year. They don't know anymore if they work with the government, if they do not, what is the situation. They are just like surveying the lake without any purpose. And during that, they produced many scientific data, but it was just accumulated data that was never published, never used, never anything, never made advantage of. And they gradually, they decided to, they lost hope. They decided like to leave the project one by one, but only as that remained, he had something in his heart, like gradually built 
towards the crocodiles and ones towards the ecosystem and the community system in Aswan in the southern of Egypt. So he thought about giving up, but then he thought like he might do one last thing for the lake. And this is how actually the film starts with him deciding to do his PhD in the lake that because he's now doing a PhD study with Wageningen uh, University in the Netherlands. And he convinced them that it should be about Nile crocodiles in Egypt so they would fund the research. And we start the film following this research was very like, it was very accurate, like approach. They knew exactly what the plan is going to be. And they estimated that it would take like six months or a year maximum to attach 25 GPS tracking devices on Nile crocodile, female crocodiles, adult enough to lay eggs. So they would find more information about like the egg nest uh, location. If they migrate, if they, if crocodiles in Egypt changed the behavior from being uh, a territorial animal to being a migratory an animal between Egypt and Sudan because of the over, uh, over poaching that it's happening in the lake. And they already had gathered GPS data about the crocodiles that they surveyed earlier. So they thought that, okay, we will go to the same places. We will attach the devices and we will like start looking forward to, to see the outcome of this. But it happens in, 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 in a very shocking way that after three years, now we've been filming for three years in, in, in the lake, and out of the 25 uh, potential uh, GPS tracking attached, they were only successful to attach one uh, device to a female crocodile, which five only five days ago, they had to go retrieve the device from the dead crocodile uh, body. Other than that, they were with a huge decline in population in only a few years. That there is no like accurate numbers now, but the estimation is that the population has declined by eighty percent, seventy to eighty percent, in, in in the lake, and there is now a huge network from poachers, from uh, illegal traffickers, from uh, even the local fishing communities that are now starting to feel dangerous because they have been fed the propaganda of having hundreds of thousands of crocodiles, so they need to to get rid of that. To, to feel safe amongst their families and children. And it developed gradually from being a scientific documentary to being an investigative one following this uh, group of, of scientists and accompanied by even local uh, people who worked as drivers for the boats or assistant to the researchers. And we gradually go uh, through 6,000 shoreline, 6,000 kilometers of shorelines, which is the, the size of, of, of the lake, how big it is. We pass gradually by each uh, fishing village. We try to see the, the differences, the cultural and social and political differences between people who are originally from the lake uh, area and people who came from elsewhere in Egypt, because like now there are a huge change in the environmental system and also in the human population distribution in the lake. So many people originally from the lake area were forced to migrate elsewhere because like Lake Nasser is not a natural lake, it's it's a man-made. Because Egypt in the 70s decided to build the high dam to, to start with produce electricity and to do uh, development in the country. So they built the dam and it just cornered huge amount of water behind the dam and Earlier than that, like before the 70s, crocodiles used to roam all over Egypt throughout the Nile, crocodiles to the far north. But now after the dam, they are all cornered behind the dam in the southern part only. And so the, the entire population is focused in very limited area, although it's very big. But now people feel like they have a monster in, in, in the lake. And this is a propaganda, propaganda they have been having. So, but only like the people originally from Aswan, originally from the, the lake, they know how important the crocodiles are for the ecosystem because they know by, ex by experience, and that's also part of the research uh, proved that the areas in the lake where, where, where they have no crocodiles anymore, they also don't have any fish uh, for them because like crocodiles plays like this very important part in the ecosystem because they are feeding mainly on the bigger fish that eat the smaller fish that are human fish themselves. So when there are no crocodiles, the bigger fish start to eat all the fish and there are also migratory uh, birds that stop by and, and have their, their share as well. And, and now all the fish that the human actually have access to 
started to to decrease in, in, in amount significantly that they don't have anymore. So the people of Aswan, they know that already, but the people who came from the Delta, from the northern part of Egypt, they don't know this as well. So they are, they are only concerned with wiping uh, out anything they could reach. They are having all the fish, all the birds, all the reptiles, everything they could lay their hands on, they will do it. So this uh, this differences in culture and beliefs and, and how it relates the ecosystem is one of the main things that the film is trying to follow. Uh, and also because like because of the absence of the Egyptian government in the late, Aizat and his team were the only people involved in, 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 in research and involved in try to raise awareness towards the what's happening actually. So they do this questionnaire with, with the villagers trying to ask them if they have encountered any crocodiles, how would they react if they found one, and people would start to share more with them. And actually, to be honest, most of the time when people, when we when we found like poachers, they came to us, we didn't catch them, we didn't like catch them by surprise or anything, they knew about our existence in the lake. And they came to us personally because they thought we are crocodile traders. So they would come to us, try to sell us what they have caught because they, they were sure that the government doesn't have anything anymore in the lake. So when they saw our boat, they said, okay, there are people who came to buy it. So they would came and, and, and present it to us. And there was a challenge for, for the main uh, scientists in Egypt because they don't work with the government anymore, but they used to. And they know that if they didn't take action, no one else would. So they will try, they kept their, their old like governmental uh, documents and they would show to the poacher and they would say, now you are in, in a situation. Now we can file a sue for you. We can, and they would confiscate like all the crocodiles and threaten the people that they will be following up. Although they have nothing related to the government anymore. So it's all like trying to bluff, like to, 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 to just to tell them like, we are still existing and we are still like trying to pull up. But then along the journey, like the, the team decide that maybe this is not the best approach. So they take more courageous action, actually, that when they confiscate crocodiles from people, they would bring them along on the research boat. They will try to uh, tell them more about why they are doing what they are doing, how important are the crocodiles, even to their own livelihood. And when they are releasing back the crocodiles again in the lake, they will make the poacher release it themselves so they will have this emotional bond between them and the crocodiles so they are more responsible to save them now and even some of the team members now that we are having used to be a very fierce poachers in, in the past that they have a change of heart now towards the cause and they decided to join the scientific team but the situation is also tragic very tragic because like as, as, as far as we go, we only find like dead bodies more than live crocodiles. We like the film, like the film itself is, is, is based about, uh, is based on uh, corpses more than living creatures, unfortunately. And we, we, are, we encounter many slaughtering like scenes where people are already like trying to cut the crocodiles into pieces. And like most of the bigger adult crocodiles does not exist in the lake anymore. So it's, it's, it's also very concerning because this team now are losing their, their, their strengths to support themselves. They cannot continue forever. And gradually, we, we monitor also the team that leaving the project gradually, emigrating outside of Egypt, uh, trying to find another thing to do where, where, they where they still have hope in, a certain, in different parts of the world. And we know that if this team finished, they are the last remaining witnesses to the, how the lake used to be, and no one else will remember it. And this is how it comes, like the, the very important sequence that we aim to film in this uh, project, that we want to dive underwater for the first time to film crocodile crocodiles underwater, diving among the remains of the Nubian submerged villages and the ancient Egyptian monuments that were submerged because of the lake creation. And we filmed the crocodiles as the last remaining witnesses to this situation in the lake.
I have so many questions. Uh, it's such a fascinating and obviously also sad situation. Yeah, and you know, like the role of the Egyptian government is so confusing in this. It, I mean, it sounds like, based on what you're saying, it sounds like the Egyptian government is responsible for the misinformation that led to catastrophic hunting pressure. This propaganda did not come from the government themselves, but they bought it. Like when it was seen from like very public figures in Cairo, they weren't bought it because they didn't have any scientific data at the time. So they just believed what was being, being said without any further research. So they deserve some of the blame, right, for like pushing this message without taking the time and investing the energy into actually doing a population assessment. But at the same time, like it, it sounds like it, it, it's also not legal to, to hunt them. It's illegal to, to hunt crocodiles and to possess even living crocodiles, even certain parts if, they, if you're caught like having uh, crocodile eggs or crocodile meat or crocodile leather, it's, it's illegal. Is there, you know, you talked about how some of these poachers would approach you thinking that uh, they might be able to sell their products to you uh, or at least to the research team. It, like, is there a market? Like, are folks, are these poachers making money? It's, it's very complicated, but there are many entities involved that it's, it's hard to try to estimate how much money is being made because there were no research done. But it, it depends on who are the people, because some of the local, uh, even the local fishing uh, fishermen, they will like kill a crocodile because they are afraid mainly. And then when they kill it, they, they would think like, why we don't use it? Why we don't like try to skin it and sell the leather and, and whatever. So they will do that, but they will, they will sell it for like, less than ten dollars or or something that not even worthy it and and but there are in the on the other hand there are many like people professional poachers that already operating in the lake and they have they are more organized they would like kill the other crocodiles they would steal the eggs they would steal the hatchling and we even know one of them have been like uh, stealing all the eggs and he has an incubating place in his in, in a place that we don't know where it is, but he incubates the eggs at his own place and he would sell the hatchlings later on. And also we, it, we, we, we found like there was like secret trophy hunting trips being done on the lake with people who would come like just to shoot a crocodile with a shotgun and, and then try to, to just use it as a monument and as a trophy mainly. So it depends. And, and we know that there is need for the crocodiles uh, byproducts elsewhere, like in surrounding countries to Egypt, because like sub-Saharan Africa, they use the crocodile's meat. Egypt do not eat crocodile in Egypt, but in, in elsewhere in Africa, they, they do. So there are there is a demand. If if you can like try to traffic some crocodile meat, they will they will get it. In the Gulf countries, uh, they have a demand on the leather, and in Egypt, they have actually a demand on the genitals because it's used for traditional Chinese medicine. Uh, it, it 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 has been like be very popular because they used to believe that the it, it possesses of uh, a power of the crocodile if you took this uh, medicine it will give you the same power as the crocodile sexually i mean so it, it it's very uh, popular in, in in these terms and and many people it depends on who is is poaching and who is hunting and for what but just for the local community they don't make this big use of it because they just like they don't know how but there are traders and we we know for for sure that there are maltese uh maltese poachers operating in in the lake especially for malta because many fishing organizations from malta applied for legal uh, license to fish in in the lake and the, the egyptian government provided them with this but only for fish but they use it just to kill everything. They, they would do uh, migratory birds, they will do crocodiles, they will do whatever they put their hands on, and they cannot be caught because they have they are already licenses. So no one else try to 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 find out like if if they use the license and and just fish or they, they use it like to poach anything else. But we know for sure like it has been there are many witness documented, like several action by the Maltese poachers operating in the lake that they, they had very, like at, at some point, uh, one of the team, that was years ago, they confiscated 12 adult crocodile poached on one shore of the lake. Obviously, enforcement is, is a big problem, right? Like it's not legal to hunt these crocodiles, but it seems like 
the Egyptian government doesn't care, right? Or, or certainly is not like willing to expend the resources to protect. They, they are not willing, but also they don't have the resources at all. Uh, because like even like we we track this story in the film how this film was was how this crew and uh, of scientists and and assistants was formed and we know for sure that when they started working they didn't even have one boat and as that the main researcher was the one actually successfully uh, obtaining this boat for the team because at, there was one incident in the city of Aswan that crocodile escaped the lake and went to the Nile River and it caused very like panicking amongst the tourists and amongst the officials in Aswan. So they wanted anyone who could capture this crocodile and bring it back to the lake. And Isaac went, he, he, he went personally, he captured this crocodile and he brought it back to the lake. And then the government the governor of Aswan, he asked him, what can we uh, do for you to thank you for this? And he responded that he doesn't want any personal uh, gift, but he wants a boat for a team. And this is how this boat was actually provided. And the thing that we explored that also the teams didn't have any salaries at all. They have very minimum wages. So Isaac was getting paid a certain like amount, which was not big at all. But also the drivers who came from the local community, they were being they were being paid something like close to uh, even less than fifty dollars a month a month, and it it was not enough to do anything. But Isaac would take aside some of his own salary and he would give it to them. So this is how. The whole team is very loyal to Isaac's research and what he's trying to do because he was responsible for, for saving them for, for, for as long as it, it got. And he's the only, during his time in the government, he was the only law enforcer in the lake. So there was no one else already has any law knowledge about crocodiles. He was the only one. Like if you Google the, the IUCN page and you try to find any crocodile specialist in Egypt, you will only find Isaac. But mainly because he was trained personally by, by the IUCN. So they were they came to Egypt and they trained like very small crew on how to capture crocodiles and how to do scientific research on them. And this is how it started. But when he left his job with the government and took like two years off, and then when he started to come back for his PhD and take the same boat, he discovered that no one ever used the boat after he left. It was just docked the entire time. That's how, like in one of our first journeys in the lake, the engine breaks down and we are totally lost, like for, for 10 days, trying to fix it ourselves and trying to find a way to, to, to survive in the lake without any uh, food or, or drink and shortage of food and, 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 and water and a broke down engine. So this is how the situation is that the Egyptian government won't interest first from the international community and then they would react if they receive such an, an interest but if no like awareness was was made about the crocodile situation the ecosystem situation in egypt that had impact in an international way they will not like simply care to do anything you know what you said about how like the government is not gonna expend any resources on this issue on this problem until there's uh international pressure. And as soon as you said that, I started thinking about the issue uh, down in Mexico with the Vaquita porpoise that um, I have a bunch of experience, you know, working as as a documentary filmmaker, documentary documenting that issue. And that's exactly what happened with the Vaquita, right? Like the government, the Mexican government didn't care, like wasn't expending like nearly any resources. But once there was pressure from the international community, um, then <clears throat> all of a sudden the politicians start scrambling, you know, to like do something to save face. But like that means that they're trying actually to prevent the extinction of the animal. Where I'm going with this, your film, right? The potential of your story to have an impact is, is what I want to talk about because I see two avenues for this. Like one is what you just mentioned, exposing the issue at, on an inter international level so that there is pressure being placed on the Egyptian government to spend resources on trying to fix this problem, right? Um, but the other one is also really interesting. It it sounds to me like there's a lot of like potential for this story 
to uh, affect positive change just in the local communities around the lake because it sounds like a lot of the poaching is being done not with like not because people think they're going to make a bunch of money but just because of fear right so misinformation like people are killing crocodile just because they don't know which means that you could just show them the film and they would stop hopefully hopefully this is what we are trying to yeah, like I want to hear about that because that to me is like really exciting when you have a story where just getting it out into a specific community can affect change in a really meaningful way. Actually, I, I, I considered like my biggest challenge and as a filmmaker for, for this project is to try to, to present the story in not in a traditional wildlife uh, TV documentary way, but in an immersing experience a road film with horrific like uh, environment like for these people and all the dangerous uh, challenges they are being being put through and try to to make people believe about the crocodile's importance to the ecosystem but also to try to, tra- to raise hope for people who want to pursue this line of science in the future because one of the subjects the film's uh, target is the how this group of scientists ever like were able to have this uh, awareness to pursue such a very difficult uh, subject because they are all the main the main researchers we were following they are all uh, one intake from the University of Aswan Department of Environmental Science they graduated from the same year nearly and after they graduated the department was shut down because no one else wanted to apply for it so they don't have any uh, potential new generation to pursue like conservation actions in the lake. And if this team left their uh, position, no one else would join. Because like, so one of the main impact goals we have been trying to, to hopefully to achieve is to reopen the Department of Environmental uh, Science in the Aswan University and encourage more uh, high school students to join this uh, this department and to convince them and to present the, the main scientific team as local heroes in a way that people should take after them and also it was a challenge for me like to to present the film in the beginning the early beginning of development of the project because like in in all the places i've been trying to pitch the film to they would like try to approach us that this is not actually our thing like if we if you want to do a wildlife uh, documentary we should like bring more experienced foreigner uh, filmmakers or big network big broadcaster to produce this but we will not do it ourselves like there's no way this is like a first world issue in a way and it was a very big challenge at the start of the production because I had to start like with my own money and I, I didn't have any. So it, I ended up like selling my parent apartment who had just passed away. So I sold the apartment. I started the production with it. And after a year, I was able uh, to gain attention from an Egyptian uh, producer who wanted to get the rights of the film and to start pursuing the fund uh, raising. And this is where we are now. Like a, a week, I just came from Beirut, Lebanon. I was pitching... Uh, the film there and like you can like measure the reaction between before the pitch and after the pitch the people were surprised of how this film relates to our uh, our priorities in the Arab world and in Egypt specifically because they would think like you should be maybe you're doing something should be doing something about political situation or social situation but then after they saw the pitch oh this is all interlinked like people uh, are there it's a film mainly following people and their passion and the challenges they are facing to achieve their goal. And and this is how it is. <coughs> Sorry. And, and from this reaction, we were able to build on it with a parallel impact campaigns that we are hoping to, to achieve upon the film uh, screening, that we want to screen it locally. Like we want just to have a festival uh, circle or like screen it in very like niche movie theaters and maybe then after on a platform this will this would be amazing if we achieve this but also we want to screen it for the locals so we are planning several local screenings in the lake uh, area we want also to to extend our impact campaign to to do screenings in the aswan university and to elsewhere to all the egyptian universities with science department trying 
trying to raise uh, willingness to, to open up more conservational science departments. This is something that we are really in a shortage of. And we are hoping actually to provide the local uh, fishermen with an application that whenever they witness a crocodile, they would just have to pinpoint the uh, coordinates. And then one of the specialists would, would come to them and capture the crocodiles and remove it from their area elsewhere in the lake so they feel more safe uh, from being around crocodiles. So we, we know that the film won't be enough, but we are hoping it will be the start of a spark to raise awareness on the conservational situation in Egypt as well. main hope for for Isaac, the main character, he is really hoping not to confiscate all the poached crocodiles only and arrest people. He thinks that the best conservational approach is to try to include these poachers in a new system, a new environmental system. Who could They could be like a safari tour guide for people who came to see crocodiles. They could be, their expertise could be used on how to, to, to raise like more uh, tourist action uh, towards the crocodiles and it will bring them more money actually than what they are doing through poaching. I think it's pretty clear that like, you know, at, at, at this point that, that that's the right approach, right? Like not to demonize the poachers, but to involve them in the solution, right? Um, is, is I, th I think really the only way that there's gonna be a positive outcome in a situation like that, right? Because we also have it in the film when we when we encounter a poacher, they would and they knew like who the people are truly are, not crocodile trailer uh, traders, but but scientists. They would just tell us like, okay, you are here maybe for a week or, or or two, but once you leave, it will be ours again, and we will do whatever we want. So we need to raise this awareness. I think you know most people here in the U.S. where I'm based, like most people who have seen documentaries that take place in Africa, especially if they're wildlife documentaries, those people are watching films that most African people don't have access to, even though a production was there and it, it you know, that's like, <laughs> they take place in Africa. Yes. And like, this is how the wildlife film industry works, right? Is you have these elite wildlife production crews based in the UK or the US, and they travel all over the world, spend lots and lots of money gathering the most beautiful images of wildlife that they can and then come back and it lands on a television network or a streaming service that is only accessible in Europe and the United States, right? And like, you're obviously trying to like break from that, but like, I guess my question is, what does the, um, like, what does the distribution look like in Egypt? I recognize you might not be able to go into too much detail because you're like negotiating right now, but if you could talk broadly about like what the landscape looks like and like where you see potential for your film to sort of gain a foothold in Egypt. Okay, do you know the saying that uh, when you try to teach filmmaking to someone who doesn't know any like technical knowledge and you say like filmmaking is not rocket science. So distribution to us is a rocket science, actually. Like even like even more uh, more established established filmmakers who have done many, maybe five or six films before, they still struggle with distributing their new films. It's it's, it's very centralized. It's very uh, commercial uh, based, and you, you need to have like certain elements in your project in in, able, in in order to sell it and and if you don't have these if you are doing something that hasn't been tried or done before it's it's like you are doing math most of the times trying to convince people and um, I'm, I'm mostly like we, we have been always like approached with this response in, in order for our project to 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 have distribution uh, opportunities like okay maybe if you have some international interest we will take a look into it but until this happens like good luck so mostly we are trying to figure it out we have been trying to build many like egyptian emerging filmmakers and and in, uh, in the arab world as well and in africa also they have been trying to build parallel uh, distribution uh, models sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't it, it needs a lot of experimenting uh, but 
but many people are trying and especially with with film festivals mainly we try to make like the film festivals based in in Egypt and Africa and in the Arab world and more involved into distribution uh, assistance and and many like now a few film festivals actually took the the initiative to try to to uh, offer uh, distribution assistance which is okay it's a, it's a good thing to start with but it's, it doesn't like afford you it doesn't like offer you any uh, production assistance in terms of, of how the financial gap you, you you have most of the times when when you are trying to secure finance for your project so mostly you still uh, you still are dependent on on the same old uh, distribution modules that you need to have a broadcaster involved you need to have recognition from international film festivals earlier you need to have done uh, pitching in in, in, in in many places before you start to build up like a network of people supporting you and this is how actually we we, we were trying to to use the crowdfunding campaign as a potential uh, distribution model because now if more people uh, contributed to the campaign if more people uh, are, are part of the production now they will anticipate the film they will create pressure on on local theaters and on film festivals to uh, acquire the film rights so they could come and and see it themselves and this is like one of our main goals with the crowdfunding campaign because like it's it's always about audiences how many audiences uh, are interested and and even like before that how many audiences know that you exist in the first place so it's trying to 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 be like trying to say that i'm here i'm working on this i i think it will interest you please come and see and you need to approach people most of the time personally like trying to get their their awareness uh, raised based on, on on your existence like we would distribute flyers or postcards and 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 movie theaters we we are trying to create like this parallel uh, narrative for even uh, filmmakers emerging filmmakers with similar interests but are afraid to pursue it like this could happen and i think if one example like managed to 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 be uh, screened and and uh, successfully and gain audiences and gain attention many people would pursue it but until this happens like uh, it needs to be like happen for a first time first yeah, and I, so you mentioned the crowdfunding campaign, which we should mention briefly for sure, uh, because it's going on now, um, and folks can check that out and actually watch a preview and some sample footage from your film, um, Crocodopolis, on, it's on Seed and Spark, um, and we'll include that link in the show notes uh, on this episode as well. I would strongly encourage anyone listening to, to um, check out the campaign page just to watch the sample footage and like get a sense of the story, because... You know, we can talk about this forever, but it, it really is a visual story. Um, and the images that you've gathered are powerful. Well, I'm, I'm hoping like, especially in, 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 in Egypt, it's it's very hard to try to launch a crowdfunding campaign. It happened like a few times be- before, but the struggle always because our currency, the Egyptian currency, is very devaluated in in uh, response to to dollars. So many people find it difficult to contribute. So we were more hoping to gain international awareness from people from outside, people from everywhere in the world that this issue it's is not like uh, exclusively Egyptian. It's it's like similar to stories happening. Every everywhere else, and you mentioned Sea of Shadows, which was a huge inspiration for me. Like when I saw it for the first time, that this investigative approach and this involvement with, with the local communities, with the international uh, NGOs, and with the government, is, it was like mind enlightening that maybe this could happen for us as well. So we think we are trying to build an example here for this area that we could be uh, producing uh, our own stories ourselves. Uh, we could express ourselves in the best possible way and we need this uh, recognition. Uh, I, I wish people would take a look at our crowdfunding campaign, uh, take a look at the film material uh, shared there. We have uh, more information about the story, more videos, footage, uh, photographs. And we are hoping that if people gain this interest to support our campaign and to try to share it with as many people as they, they can and try to raise this awareness. And we are looking forward to see you in the film screenings. What stage are you at? When do you think it'll be done? Okay, so far we are nearly 75% through with the production. We are hoping to raise enough funds to finalize the, the, the reminder sequence of the film. 
which is very technically challenging because it involves diving underwater with crocodiles in Lake Nasser. It needs a lot of preparation and needs a lot of support and assistance. Once we are done with this, we will start our post-production phase and we are hoping that we can screen the film in uh, 2024. Well, I really look forward to that. And um, yeah, thanks again for coming on the show and um, sharing all of this, all these amazing experiences and, and this this wonderful project you're working on. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Matt. That was our interview with filmmaker Omar Manjuna, the director of Crocodopolis. As I mentioned during the interview, Omar and his team are running a crowdfunding campaign for their film right now. This is a super cool opportunity to not only check out some of the footage from the film, but to also make a contribution and help bring this important documentary into the world. Just search for Crocodopolis on Seed and Spark or check out our show notes page for this episode and we'll share the link there. That's at earthtohumanspod.com. We'll have a new episode dropping in two weeks. Here's Hannah Mulvaney with a preview. So my next episode is about a film called Diving for Rays. Um, it's with a, a production crew um, that made the film and also with the, um, the star of the film. It's a story that I haven't seen told, and it's also an intersection of um, of environmentalism and of, of um, nature activism that I hadn't um, encountered any stories being told about, which is um, LGBTQIA plus representation within our sector. Um, and as somebody who um, is a is a passionate ally um, in all of the other parts of my life it was something that I professionally hadn't really considered after thinking about that I um I kind of felt really passionate about the film and then on watching it it was just this beautiful um love story um not only about the love of the star for um marine biology um and for rays in particular um, but also the film was made by um, her spouse and you could just feel the the love in all all respects and it was just this it's just this beautiful like beautifully made beautiful story film that just really touched my heart so after listening after watching it I just really wanted to get um, get them on the podcast. Earth to Humans is a production of the Wildlands Collective. The show is hosted and produced by Serena Simons, Hannah Mulvaney, and me, Matt Podolsky. Music from this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. Check out our website for a full list of credits, earthtohumanspod.com.